Our reading this evening is taken from the second letter of Paul to the Thessalonians, and we are reading chapter 3. And it's page 1190, if you wish to follow it in the Church Bible. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured, just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all of my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Well, we've been doing a short series um, these last few Sunday evenings on uh, 2 Thessalonians under the heading, How Healthy is Our Church? Looking at the first chapter, just to recall, uh, on the test of faith and love. Uh, Last time in chapter 2, on the test of standing firm. And this week we come on to chapter 3, verses 6 to 15, we're going to be concentrating on, which we consider the test of active faith. And in case you're wondering why we're not looking at those first few verses of uh, chapter 3, actually that was one of the passages we looked at recently in our series on prayer. I'm sure any of you have been for a personal health check recently, will have been asked the question, do you exercise regularly? And uh, you may wonder whether that uh, walk to the shops you do maybe once a week counts towards 
regular exercise. How active are you? Or are you just a couch potato? Well, the warning that Paul gives in his letter here, as as per the heading that the translators have given, is a warning against idleness. And amongst the commentators, there are differences of opinion about um, the reason for the idleness of some of the uh, Thessalonians. Some think they were probably just uh, lazy by nature, sponging off the uh, generosity of the, the members of the church. The main view, though, is that they believed that the second coming was imminent, and therefore they just gave up their jobs. There wasn't any point going to work because Jesus is about to come. Now, Paul had warned them about this in his first letter, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14 there, it says, We urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. And clearly what we see here in his second letter is that these people hadn't heeded those warnings. And before those of you who are busy in the church think, yeah, this is a chance to have a go at those who are not pulling their weight, I'm okay, you know, I do quite a lot, I can sit back here and enjoy the show. As we will see, this passage is not actually so much addressed at that group, that small group, it could be, of Christians who need to get off and, and, and do, do more, be more active in their faith. It's actually addressed to a church where it is known that among their number there are some who are idle. And what it gives us is some useful lessons, not just about how we deal with those who are lazy, but how we as a church in general deal with disobedience. So what are the lessons then we are meant to take away from this passage? Well, the first one thing is we need to encourage each other to be obedient to God. Because God is more interested in our obedience than our activity. Paul's prayer in the first few verses of chapter 3 is for the rapid spread of the gospel and for the Lord's protection in that work. He then switches to express his confidence in the Lord that the Thessalonians are doing and will continue to do the things that they have been commanded to do. I know this is not a confidence in their human ability to do what they've been commanded to do. It's a confidence in the Lord that he will enable them to do what they've been commanded to do. And the way in which the Lord will make that possible, it says, is by directing their hearts into God's love and into Christ's perseverance. And here we have the connection with the theme of of last time, the theme of standing firm, the persevering, and the theme of obedience. Because when things are going against us, when things are tough in the workplace, as we heard from Marion, the temptation will be to to not do the things that are commanded of us. And it's at that point that we do need to turn to God's love and Christ's perseverance, Christ who persevered despite all the injustice that the world could throw at him and follow his example. But what about these commands? Because if you, I don't know whether it came across when Chris read that out, but the passage is full of, of commands. Look at verse 4. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. Or verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. Verse 10. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Verse 12, such people we command and urge 
in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And verse 14, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. What are we to make of all these commands? Because we live in a society where people, in many ways, object to being commanded to do things. You know, authority no longer has the respect it once had. I don't propose to try and explain the possible reasons why that might be the case this evening. But I think we would agree that generally there is less respect for politicians, for, for the police, for teachers, um, for adults in general, for, for football managers. You know, if you uh, don't agree with the manager, manager's decision to leave you out of the team, then you go off in a strop. And it's good to see Capello uh, installing a greater sense of discipline and respect to the England football team. But we ourselves, as an independent church, long Crendon Baptist Church is an independent church, and I know that independent churches attract people who have an independent spirit. There's a natural resistance in many of us to, to, to obey rules and authority. So what gives Paul here the right in this letter to issue commands? And how should we respond to these commands today? Well, I think firstly it's worth noting that this is not just some tyrannical church leader issuing commands or feeling that his uh, authority is being undermined and reacting with a sense of, of anger. These are commands to which he himself is prepared to subject himself because these are given, as he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. How is Paul able to claim a command in the name of Jesus Christ? Well, he was one of a special group called the Apostles who included um, Jesus' original 12 Apostles and Paul, to whom Jesus appeared on the road to Damascus. And nobody in the early church doubted that Paul was one of those apostles. He carried with him the teaching authority of the apostles, which is the same authority as that of Jesus Christ himself. Now, it's fair to say that in the church today, nobody has this kind of apostolic authority. The elders of a church have a certain authority, but that is an authority which is subject to the authority of God. So those applying for membership in this church are asked to acknowledge the authority of the elders, but only insofar as that is exercised in accordance with the teaching of Scripture, the teaching of God in his word. And when you find church leaders who claim greater authority, who claim to be apostles, or exercise so-called heavy shepherding and, and lay down the law about all sorts of everyday matters, then there's a great cause for concern. Well, the way in which we submit to apostolic authority today is by submitting to the authority of God, which is contained within his word, the Bible. And of course, we still need to interpret that and apply that teaching to contemporary situations. But the Bible is an authority which remains universally valid. And if we disagree with the authority of the Bible, then what we are doing, we are disagreeing with Jesus Christ, our Lord. The health of the church depends more on listening to Jesus, obeying his word, than being active for the sake of being active. We need to encourage obedience to his word. Well, secondly, we need to be prepared to rebuke when necessary. Now, there are some in this uh, church in Thessalonica who are disobeying the word of God. They're disobeying Paul's commands. And the particular instance in this passage is to do with idleness. Paul says in verse 11, there are some among you who are idle, they're not busy, 
They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. He's saying these people are not just lazy. These people are those who are not just you know, not making the most of each day. They're those who are interfering in other people's affairs. And the worst thing is they are disobedient. You know, Paul has already come to them physically. He's already verbally told them this. You know, he's lived that out through his example, as it says here. He's written letters to them, and still they carry on in their idleness. So what should the church do about them? Is it a question of just excusing it as a, as a minor offence? The trouble is, what we're talking about here in this passage is a public, a deliberate and a persistent disobedience. People who, even after being warned, chose to ignore it. What Paul makes clear in this letter to the church is that it's actually the responsibility of the whole church to, to take action in this situation. Instructions are not addressed to the elders of the church. You know, the elders um, are referred back in chapter one of um, chapter no, sorry, one Thessalonians chapter five, verse twelve. Here there are there are those who it says who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, who admonish you. It says to the church, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. These are the elders of the church. And they may have a special responsibility of warning, but ultimately, the decision needs to be taken by the whole church. That's the way Jesus indicated himself in his teaching about church discipline. And the procedure that Paul says they should follow here is, looking back at uh, chapter 3, verse 14, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter... It says, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now, it's difficult to know exactly what this expression, take special note of him, uh, really means, but it seems to refer to some sort of uh, public warning. And the purpose of the command here to to not associate with him, to distance yourself from him, seems to be to, to make clear that these actions are not the actions that would be expected of a Christian. These are not the actions that a church should be uh, looked at to, to be a normal course of behaviour. Um, there's a possibility here the gospel may fall into disrepute through the actions of a minority. Now, what is clear is that at this stage is not a question of excommunication. It's not saying, have nothing more to do with him, it's saying, work together to, to resolve this issue. Try to restore your brother into fellowship. And to make him feel ashamed is basically make him see his need to repent, to change his ways. As Jesus said, if an offender listens to reproof, you've won your brother over. And that's a reference here to brother or sister comes up quite clearly. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And if we are constantly on the lookout for those who slip and fall, if we're looking at um, weaknesses in character that we can pounce on, then that is not treating someone as a brother. That is treating someone as an enemy. But if it is a question of seeing a believer persistently sin and that grieving your heart, and you don't really want to mention it at all because you know how painful that's going to be, but you feel for his or her sake, that is important. Then warning them as a brother 
is a concern for their spiritual health. If you see that sin, you don't want to do anything about it because you just want an easy life, then is that really showing love to them? It's like a parent who, you know, who lets his or her child get away with anything because to tell them off would be just too much of an effort and then become surprised as the children grow up without any respect for authority. And in our, our leaders' retreat yesterday, we were considering our responsibility as leaders of the church for the spiritual health of the church. And one of the issues we discussed is whether we have an environment where we can be open and honest with one another, both in terms of confessing our own areas of struggle, but also to be able to rebuke each other where necessary. The question is, is our faith in God, our desire to be obedient to him, is that strong enough to be able to take rebuke? Are our relationships with each other deep enough to be able to give and receive rebuke and correction and training. As we do that, we need to do it under the authority of God's word, which it says in 2 Timothy is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How serious are we about wanting to grow in righteousness? We need to be prepared to, to, to rebuke, to speak the truth in love where necessary. Thirdly, we need to follow the example of Jesus and his godly servants. Paul's teaching, his instruction, was backed up by the example he he set. As he says here, look at verse 7. You yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this, not because we do not have the right to to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. Paul knew that he and Silas and Timothy, as God's workers, had a right to board and lodging if they were doing the Lord's work. They shouldn't have had to go out and work, in Paul's case, in in tent-making for their keep. And yet he's saying they were prepared to put aside those rights because what was most important to them was that they would be a good example. They wouldn't be a burden to to anybody there. They would, by their hard work, encourage those who are lazy. They would encourage them to go out and work themselves. And they were showing that whether the second coming was imminent or not, that was no excuse to stop working and becoming a burden on others. As Christians, we are called first and foremost, to follow, of course, the example of Jesus Christ. He is our our model, our example. It was the example of uh, Jesus that Paul had used to encourage the Thessalonians to persevere, as we said back there in verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In other words, look at how Christ persevered in his suffering and follow that example. Jesus, of course, taught his disciples by example. John 13, after um, washing his disciples' feet, he says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And Paul, when writing to the church in Corinth, wrote, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. As we follow the example of godly Christians, then we become an example to others. Just turn back to um, 
to 1 Thessalonians a minute to um, see what Paul said to them in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Look there in verse 6. He says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers of Macedonia and Achaia. Much of the Christian life is, is caught by example rather than taught by instruction. And the hardest thing about being a, about being a pastor, being a minister, is being an example to the flock because, you know, I can preach the best sermon here you've ever heard, but, you know, I know that unless you see that I'm practicing what I preach, then you're not going to take any notice. They'll just be empty words. And, of course, it's not just the pastors or the, the elders who have that responsibility. We all share it. And we are all an example to those outside the church of what a Christian is like. Which is not easy, is it? Let's face it. Those of us who are parents are, are setting an example to our children. Much of they, what they learn about living the Christian life is not what we teach them, but how they see us behave. Which doesn't mean we shouldn't teach them, of course, that's very important. But um, not without godly example. The reason that we look to godly examples is that we can learn from them so that we can be examples to others. And I wonder who are the godly people that you look to, for example, those humble, faithful servants of the Lord, those from whom you'll never hear any unwholesome talk, those uh, who persevere in difficult situations full of love for the Lord and for others, those who put the glory of Christ before personal ambition. We know, don't we, just how attractive that looks. But how do they make you feel? Do they make you feel inferior and, and resentful? Do they make you want to try and keep up with them in your own strength? Or do they actually make you rejoice in the Lord and ask him to help you follow that example? As we also discussed yesterday in our retreat, we don't want to create a community where it all seems to be sorted, you know, that, that it frightens others off with feelings of inadequacy. But a community of grace, which is accepting of people wherever they may be in their walk with God. Let's just be honest about where we are and learn from the example of those who may be more mature. Well, finally, we need never to tire of doing right. Having given the command to the idlers to, to settle down and earn the bread that they, they eat, Paul says to the others who are carrying on working, he says in verse 13, as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. It's the same encouragement he gives to the church in Galatians. In Galatians 6, uh, Paul writes, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I don't know if you know the origin of the expression to, uh, to pull one's weight. Apparently it comes from rowing, where each member of a rowing crew is uh, expected to pull the, the oar with the force appropriate to their weight. And if they don't, then they're not making the, uh, the contribution expected by the rest of the crew in that boat. And ideally, a church is a body in which every member plays a part. It's like a crew in which every member pulls his weight. 
And it's wonderful when that happens, isn't it? When we um, get together every year for the holiday club, the wonderful thing about working as part of that team is just seeing everybody playing his or her own little part and seeing the combined impact of that effort. But Paul is realistic here that in most churches there will be those who, who don't pull their weight. And the rest of the team have got two options in that situation. Either they can say, well, you know, he or she isn't pulling their weight, therefore neither am I going to pull my weight and just, just give up. Or they can carry on knowing that they have a, a, a passenger amongst them, but hoping at some point that that passenger will, by their example and through God's grace, be enabled to pull his or her weight again. And Paul knows that that is not easy because the human reaction is to have a good moan, isn't it? But he's saying, don't let them drag you down. Instead, drag them back up by your tireless work. You persevere in doing what you know to be right. Remember why you're doing it. Remember for whom you are doing it. You're doing it for the Lord and the Lord will bless that. Well, as I uh, come to an end, we've talked this evening about a healthy church. It's the last in this series. How, how can we respond when people are not being active, how, when they're not contributing to what we want as a healthy church? How we need to encourage each other to be obedient, to be prepared to rebuke when necessary, to follow the example of Jesus, but also his godly servants that he puts in our lives and to never tire of doing right. And it comes back, as it often does, to being obedient to God. And as we encourage obedience to God in his word, what we will experience as we together are a body who are obedient to, to God, will you experience that peace and that grace with which Paul finishes his letter. He says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, be with you all. Amen.